Today on Government Matters, the Army's top general on the pandemic, the Army's battlefield data network of the future, and keeping soldiers ready to fight tonight. General James McConville is here. Modernization won't cut it for the Army's supply chain. The top acquisition leader of the force, Dr. Bruce Jetty, explains why transformation is the way forward. And you may not lose your leave time if you can't use it because of the pandemic. The congressman pushing to save your leave tells you his plan. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Army's formally and officially on board with the Joint All-Domain Command and Control Program. The collaboration behind the agreement, though, has been underway for a while. General James McConville's Chief of Staff of the United States Army. General, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. What's your vision for the evolution of Project Convergence, uh, the, uh, the Air Force's program, and joining them together for JADC2, sir? Well, thanks, Francis. It's uh, great to be here with you today. And um, you know, this is all about uh, the future of how the Joint Force is going to fight. And um, General Brown and myself, uh, we had staff talks between the Air Force and the United States Army, and we signed an agreement very similar to what uh, was signed in 1984 by General Wickham and General Gabriel that, that set the stage for earlier battle. And so the vision is that all sensors uh, will be tied uh, together to the right shooter and, and using the proper um, battle command system will have speed and range that we've never seen before. And the, the one th thing that we've added is a C to JADC2 uh, for combined because we know that in the future our allies and partners will be critical in any type of conflict that we're involved in. I note that perhaps we should change the name then to JADC3, sir. Um, you're working already, the Army is, on Project Convergence. Tell me about that and tell me how that fits into this broader construct. Well, first of all, Project Convergence is about bringing things together. And it's a campaign of learning. We just finished uh, Project Conversion uh, 20. We'll do it next year. Uh, but we're able to demonstrate out in Yuma the fact that we could bring together uh, a, a bunch of sensors and then pass uh, data between sensors uh, to get um, firing solutions that were in seconds, vice minutes that we're seeing in the past. We had F-35s out there. We were using space. Uh, we had different uh, type of shooters and different types of sensors. And, and the value of this exercise was to bring them all together and to be able to quickly pass data between the systems. I want to shift gears, uh, sir, and talk about the readiness of your force. You said recently that in Stars and Stripes, the force is very, very ready. It's time to focus on people. And you've been talking about the mental health of your soldiers as a result of COVID. What's the intersection of those two concepts, General? Well, the, the intersection is, is, first of all, the Army's people. Uh, it's our greatest strength. It's our most important weapon system. And over the last 19 years, our soldiers have been deployed conflict many many times and doing multiple rotations around the world so we're taking some time right now to uh, focus on our people the force as you said is is very very ready we spent the last couple of years building that readiness back um, but we've taken a look at the op tempo on our troops and if we think it's time uh, to give our sergeants 
and our junior leaders more time to focus on their soldiers so they can take care of them and and make sure that they can build cohesive units where everyone treats everyone with bigger respect. What's the connection that you're seeing or trying to enhance with individual readiness, the physical and mental health of each soldier, and the broader force modernization efforts you're undertaking? Yeah, we, we believe that, well, the secret sauce of the Army is cohesive teams, but that also works in some of the other issues that we're facing. Uh, we want to connect our soldiers to the leaders. We want to connect our soldiers to buddies. We want to connect their families. And what we find is if soldiers are connected and we have leaders caring about them, when they have problems, we'll be able to find that out. If they're having either physical problems or behavioral health problems, we can get them the proper care so we get them taken care of early on with the issue. How are you going about doing that? What, what's, the, what's the borderline between a connected network of soldiers and asking people basically to keep an eye on the other guy or woman? Yeah, I think it's about time. Um, you know, we, we've kept the soldiers incredibly busy, and that's, I've gone out to Secretary and Sergeant Major, and we've talked to uh, various units. Our junior uh, level leaders say, hey, we just don't have the time uh, with our soldiers that we need. And what we want to do is give our junior leaders the opportunity to build these highly trained, disciplined, and fit units that are cohesive uh, in nature. And, and when they know their soldiers, and they know their families, they'll know when they're having challenges. You uh, quarantined yourself recently, sir. What did you learn from that experience uh, about what uh, these these issues with the, the health and readiness of the force? Well, just for the record, um, I, I, I was in a situation where I was not actually exposed, but out of abundance of caution, I did go into quarantine. Uh, just as you know, we wanted to make sure there were no issues with that. I was tested multiple times and uh, did not come up uh, positive at all. But, but here's, the, here's what we found out is there's some things that we can do virtually. I, I have the capability uh, from where I sit to do a lot of virtual type operations. But at the end of the day, many of our soldiers uh, cannot, as I like to say, telecommute uh, to combat. They have to train, we have to do things in, in person, but there's things that we can do in a hybrid model. Some work very well virtually. We're doing a virtual interview right here, but at the same time, we wanna be connected to our people. We wanna be in person and some of those things we just can't do virtually the things that you can do virtually is this do you expect the scope of that to change in the coming months and years as a result of what you learned we have about 30 seconds left general yeah yeah i do i think there's a lot of things uh i, I did a conference with our retired uh force our generals and because it was virtual many were able to attend that probably could not have traveled to dc because of their time or, or or time available so i think we're gonna see a lot of hybrid stuff uh where some's done virtually some's done in perfect uh in person and I don't think we want to say it's one or the other. I think we're going to look for uh, the right um, part of each of those because I think there's value in, in doing it both ways. General McConville, I always appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me today, sir. And thank you, Francis. Great being with you. Up next, what the pandemic's taught the Army about supply chain resilience. Straight ahead on Government Matters, Dr. Bruce Jetty on what's next for acquisitions in the force. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. Modernization is not an option anymore for some parts of the Army's supply chain. 
The Army's top acquisition official says only real transformation will maintain the integrity of the supply chain. Bruce Jetty is that official. He's the Army's Assistant Secretary for Acquisition Logistics and Technology. Dr. Jetty, Bruce, welcome. Thanks for joining me. You got a wake-up call about this recently with the accidents and the deaths in the ammo plants. What is the difference in terms between modernization and transformation? What do you mean by differentiating those words, sir? Well, Prince, thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, uh, to to be here today. And let me uh, let me explain that. So. Our ammo plants were established uh, in the 40s uh, for World War II. We, of course, didn't leave them stagnant and have done modernization to them for, uh, for all these years. Modernization has been essentially taking those things which we knew were safe, determining those things which were um, less safe or not, not productive, trying to refine them, improve them, eliminate risk from the system, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an incremental approach to making it better uh, and safer. Uh, the, the problem with that was that it, it was walking down a very straight path without looking to the opportunities to the left and right. The end state of that is that we had two people who were um, involved in accidents at those plants over the last 10 years uh, that, that, uh, that died because they were following exactly the procedures that this modernization strategy had worked out were the least risky and best way to get it done, but they couldn't eliminate the total risk. My view is transformation is we need to take an entirely different look at this because the old ways may be as refined as they can be. We need new ways so that we improve the productivity and enhance the, the safety of the workforce. Uh, a fundamental, for example, is why do we have individuals in close proximity to energetics at all when we can have equipment doing the same function? If you go modernization, it doesn't ask that question. If you do transformation, it does. And we have solutions to the transformation question. So let's take that concept then, Dr. Jetty, and apply it more broadly to the supply chain. You've spoken uh, at great length recently and throughout your tenure about the importance of the resiliency of the supply chain. We're seeing the importance of that during the pandemic. Apply those two terms more broadly to the way that you're seeing that resiliency. Oh, well, so you're exactly right. The pandemic is, has given us uh, a chance to take a look at the supply chain. We become you know if you don't have we have a lot of things to do in the in, in the pentagon and in the army in the acquisition community and sometimes uh you, you got to wait until the wheel squeaks before you start paying attention to it um if it's working well uh, you leave it alone the supply chain in general was working well the pandemic showed that in fact some of the some of the supply chain was not as robust or as capable uh the the source of supply for cables, for example. There are a handful of vendors that make unique military cables, and they became, when they were impacted, when you have a small source company uh, that does something that's unique yet critical to your production capability, uh, the question then becomes, does COVID impact them? One person in a company of 20 people suddenly causes most of the workforce to be uh, uh, have a 14-day uh, uh, isolation that stops the company's production. There's a shutdown portion and a startup portion. The end state of that is 
we may lose 30, 30 days' worth of productivity for one person who gets sick in a company that then becomes the, the throttling event for production of an actual combat system. So we've looked back at that and said we need to look transformationally at even our supply chain. Number one, is it robust enough? Number two, where are those weak points in the supply chain that are sole source dependent? Uh, number three, are we using the same equipment over and over more out of habit than what's technologically more, uh, more producible uh, more broadly? For example, a unique cable with 127 pins is a unique cable that has to individually be made. Could we go to uh, a fiber optic cable instead, as an example, which is broadly available? So we're, 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 that's the type of transformational view that we're trying to take towards um, our supply chain. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, Dr. Jetty, and uh, I want to touch on remarks that uh, some of your peers, some of your fellow leaders inside the department have made recently. Lisa Hirschman was on this program uh, last Sunday talking about category management. Ellen Lord has spoken recently about changes to the way that the department broadly will buy software, and I wonder if there are implications for either of those, category management or the software acquisition changes on the Army specifically, sir. Well, certainly category management is, is an area that the Army has, uh, has, has moved uh, aggressively towards. In the last two years, we've stood up six categories, uh, information technology, uh, transportation, logistics, medical, professional services, facilities, and construction. Um, I'll give you an example uh, of, of the benefit. In information technologies, we had approximately 65 or so uh, cloud contracts because com portions of the army wants to move, want to move forward. Some of them more aggressively than others. Over time, without without a focused plan, we ended up with 65 uh, different uh, uh, different cloud contracts out there. Some well negotiated, some not so well negotiated, etc. etc. Et uh, the category management gives us an ability to bring this back together, focus it in, do better procurement uh, and procurement costing generate efficiencies across programs and uh, produce, in fact, one cloud contract that'll fulfill all of the 65 requirements, but, but at a better, uh, uh, a, a, a better deal for the taxpayer in the end. Dr. Jetty, thanks very much for your time today. I appreciate it very much. Uh, my pleasure. Anytime. Up next, you may not lose your leave time if you don't use it this year. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the congressman trying to make it happen tells you his plan. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. Federal employees could keep the annual leave they've earned during the coronavirus and couldn't use instead of losing it at the end of the year. The Federal Worker Leave Fairness Act would let you keep that time you couldn't use because you had to work through the pandemic. Democratic Congressman Derek Kilmer represents the 6th District in Washington State. He's one of the co-sponsors of that bill. Congressman, welcome. This is affecting people in your district, not just people in the D.C. area, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the largest employer in the district I represent is the federal government. We have a large naval shipyard. You know, and... and uh, these workers are performing a critical service for our country. They help ma maintain our, our carriers and our subs and uh, are vital to our national security. And because of the pandemic, a lot of these workers 
I haven't been able to, to travel. I uh, have chosen not to travel, trying to minimize health risks, uh, you know, limit their exposure to this virus, but also just ensuring that the important work continues uninterrupted. Um, however, as you just mentioned, there's paid leave benefits that are use it or lose it. And that's not fair to our federal workers. Uh, they shouldn't lose benefits they've earned through no fault of their own. This is a fair amount of time, too, that you're talking about. The press release that your office put out says federal workers that accrue over 240 hours of annual leave either lose those hours or have to use it by the end of the year. I don't think anybody thinks that they're, all those folks are going to be able to use that amount of time by the end of this year or necessarily want to, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think every American right now is dealing with the same challenge uh, associated with uh, with this pandemic. Um, you know, it's not like folks can uh, can uh, can travel much right now, as it is. And federal workers shouldn't have to sacrifice the paid leave benefits that they've earned uh, just because they chose to prioritize serving our country. So, that's really the rationale behind this uh, this bill. Senator Hirono uh, introduced the bill in the Senate. I've introduced it in the House. Uh, to make sure that whether it's the workers at Naval Base Kitsap or, or elsewhere within the federal government are able to keep that unused paid uh, paid time off uh, that they've earned. Uh, and I think that's common sense, whether we're talking about uh, shipyard workers or postal service employees or folks who work for the Social Security Administration or the NIH researchers, to be able to carry over that leave that they've accrued into the next year, I think that's a simple a common sense fix and uh, hopefully will help a lot of families. Given the workload that Congress is up against with spending bills and the armed services committees are still working on NDAA and so on, what's your sense of the prognosis for at least getting this bill to a vote in the House? I'm really hopeful. Um, obviously, uh, we've got terrific support, um, including there in the D.C. metropolitan area, folks like Jennifer Wexton and Don Byer and, and Jerry Connolly, importantly, since he's uh, one of the uh, subcommittee chairs that would have um, purview over this. They're all sponsors of, of the bill. We've seen tremendous support uh, from the federal employee unions. Uh, and I, I think that gives us a, a window of opportunity. There's, uh, I, you know, it's, it is simply an issue of fairness. I think people will understand and appreciate that. And this is the type of thing that Democrats and Republicans in Congress ought to be able to get done. You mentioned the companion bills in the Senate, uh, Senator Hirono introducing that bill. The Senate obviously works a lot differently and is, uh, is set up politically a lot different than the House is right now. Any sense of, uh, from her of the prognosis on that side? Well, uh, again, I, I think there's a recognition that this is a matter of fairness. and, and uh, uh, I know she will and I will do all we can to, to make this happen. Um, again, uh, having people in a position where they have to use it or lose it just isn't fair. And uh, this should be the type of thing that could even move on, on suspension. Um, I, don't think this, there, I don't think there is or should be controversy around this. It's just a matter of getting it done and doing what's right on behalf of our federal workers who are playing an important role on behalf of uh, the citizens of our country. We just have a couple of minutes left, Congressman. I appreciate your time today. You have another bill I want to ask you about while you're here, the Disabled Veteran Leave Extension Restoration Act. What does that bill do, sir? Well, in, in 2015, Congress passed a bill called the Wounded Warriors uh, Federal Leave Act into law. 
it, it created disabled veteran leave um, to any new federal employee who is a veteran with a service-connected disability. Um, there were some parameters uh, to that. Unfortunately, they're in the same use it or lose it scenario. And I, I just think if you serve our country, we ought to have your back. Uh, that, that goes not just for active duty military families, but for our veterans too. And, you know, the reason this uh, really matters, you know, starting in March, the pandemic caused a lot of our VA healthcare facilities to cancel or to delay some of the non-emergency in-person appointments for our vets. Um, including a, a, a significant number of elective and, and non-essential medical procedures. So now, as VA facilities begin to work through that backlog of nearly six months of canceled or rescheduled appointments, I've heard from a number of disabled vets in our region who are at risk of not being able to use their benefits um, because it's use it or lose it. So I think that our veterans should receive the benefits they've earned, uh, that they deserve, even in, in the midst of a pandemic. And that's why last week we introduced this bill, the Disabled Veteran Leave uh, Extension and Restoration Act, that'll just extend the ability of vets to use their disabled veteran leave and to restore leave that's already been lost for some. Um, this is uh, supported by Democrats and Republicans. To me, it's important that all of our veterans have access to quality uh, health care, to affordable health care. Uh, this bill would help with that. And uh, uh, again, it, it, it's, it's just not fair for folks to have to forfeit benefits that they've earned simply because of a pandemic that's not their fault. Congressman Kilmer, thank you very much for joining me again today. It's great to have you back. You bet. Great to see you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. And you get a preview of every program by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.